Pardes North America presents Greatest Hits, The High Holidays, a curated collection of premium high holiday content from the Pardes archives. We hope it brings additional meaning to your Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur experience. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. For more high holiday learning opportunities, visit pardes.org.il forward slash events. And now, Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. It took place in a church on a sweltering hot day. The preacher was delivering a lengthy sermon and he noticed that one of his parishioners sitting right up across from him fell asleep. The preacher, undaunted, continued to talk on and on. The man slept on and on. Suddenly, in hopes of arousing this sleeping man, the preacher called out in a towering voice, All of you who are for salvation, stand up! The entire congregation obediently rose to their feet except for that one sleeping soul. The furious preacher motioned to the assembly to be seated and then he screamed at the top of his lungs, All of you who are for sin, stand up! The sleeping man woke with a start, jumped to his feet and stood there, shocked, rubbing his eyes. He looked around and saw a seated congregation, thought for a moment and then addressed the preacher, Reverend, I confess that I don't know what we are voting on, but it looks like you and I are the only ones for it. I'd like to suggest to you that I am in favor of sin, the concept of sin, that is. In recent years, the word sin has been so slowly extracted from the vocabulary of Western society. All too often, attempts have been made to minimize the relevance of sin and guilt in our culture, a culture that cares so much about us feeling good about ourselves and seems to care less about our making strides to self-improvement by recognizing our faults and the errors of our ways. When it comes to taking responsibility for our misdeeds, we seem to have a tendency to want to pass the buck. What did the character Geraldine Jones used to say in Flip Wilson's routine? The devil made me do it. Interestingly enough, this expression is not so far from a very proliferate Jewish philosophical and theological approach. In our understanding of good and evil, destiny and choice, Judaism acknowledges a yetzer hara, an inclination to do evil, which is commonly called satan, or Satan, if you will, and which has a tendency to show up at the moments of our greatest weakness. Recall, please, the Disney cartoon in which Pluto saves a kitten from drowning and brings, home, brings it home to his master, Mickey, who then showers all of his attention on the kitten, making Pluto very angry. In his deliberations as to what to do to that mangy feline, he is visited by two Pluto figures, on his two shoulders, one with wings and a halo, and the other with a pitchfork and a red tail. The satanic Pluto says in the ear of the, of the dog, Come on, don't let this kitten have all the goods. Get rid of him. The angelic Pluto shakes his finger and exclaims, No, 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 you mustn't do harm to that innocent cat. You must be kind to animals. In the cartoon, this is where the Yetzer Hara, the satanic Pluto, takes out a huge hammer and pounds the daylights out of the angel dog, the Yetzer Hatov. 
However, interestingly enough, the cartoon reaches its crescendo when the Yetzer HaTov has had enough abuse from the Yetzer Hara and proceeds to incapacitate the devil with a solid right cross to the kisser. I don't think that I have seen that cartoon for decades, and I'm of course not an advocate of such violence. But the fact that I remember the scene so vividly even to this day tells me that it very well could be a symbolic portrayal of real life. Judaism acknowledges this fear of the Yetzer Hara taking over our lives when in our morning prayers we ask God, Al Tishlet Bano Yetzer Hara, please do not let the evil impulse have power over us. Vidabkenu Beyetzer Hatov Uvamaasim Tovim, but let us cling to the inclination to be good and to do good deeds. If sinning wasn't so common a behavior, why do we have page upon page of the prayer al-chait for the sin which we have committed before you dot 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 throughout Yom Kippur liturgy? It was the rabbis of the ninth century who introduced the al-chait piyut into the high holiday prayers. At that time, there were 12 lines of delineated sins. Maimonides put forward 22 types of transgressions 350 years or so later corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And in our day, how many sins are listed? Yep, 52. 44 to cover the double acrostic of sins between us and our fellow human beings, from whom we must be forgiven personally before God will even consider expiation. And eight more to cover the transgressions that are ritual in nature, which require reconciliation only with God. The fact that the number of verses in the Al-Khayt section of the Yom Kippur liturgy has increased over the centuries might just indicate that the rabbis were responding to the changing and in certain ways deteriorating reality around them. People deceive. They, well, you know what? We gossip. We hurt other fe others' feelings. We make mistakes. Let's look even closer at the concept of sin, chet. Do you know that the original meaning of the Hebrew word chata is missing the mark? Imagine that you are an archer, aiming your arrow at a target, taking sight of your goal ahead of you. You try to hit the mark, but you miss. Chet is defined as the distance between our goal and the spot where the arrow landed. It is the gap between our ideal and our intention and the reality, our actual achievement. What does the archer do when he misses? He tries again and takes more careful aim using the data which he collected from his most recent miss or misses. Remember, there are as many opportunities to hit their mark as there are arrows. The words, I aim to do better next time, are very important, assuming we are willing to expend the energy to create a next time. Chait is sin free of a final punishment. Guilt without paralysis, because there is always another chance to make it better. There isn't only one kind of sin either. There are plenty of ways to miss the mark. Linguist and anthropologist Franz Boas 
wrote about the different names that the Inuit Eskimos give to snow. So, for example, the Eskimo uses the apparently distinct roots to describe snow on the ground, aput, falling snow, gana, piksirpok for drifting snow, and kimuksuk to describe a snowdrift. His hypothesis was that snow is especially relevant to the Inuit Eskimos because of where and how they live. Extrapolating from this notion that language is influenced by cultural reality, isn't it interesting to consider that our Hebrew Bible describes misdeeds using so many different terms? There's the avira, the overstepping the word of God, from the root avar, to pass over something. To err through ignorance is known as shogeg, and to stray from the path laid out for us by God is litot, and its homonym to describe a simple mistake is a taut. Pesha describes a direct defiance of God, while mered is a rebellion, whether passive or active in nature. Lechanef is to be godless, and ma'al is sacrilege. Avon is perversion against God's word, and resha is just plain evil. Not a single one of these words is exactly like another, and none is able to successfully describe all of the elements of sin. When our second son completed basic training of his army course, which for his group lasted over a year, the families of the soldiers were invited to the graduation ceremonies. Of course, there were plenty of speeches, including those given by the commanding officers, as well as the commanding officers of the commanding officers. In the first speech that we heard, the young recruits were told that they went through rigorous training to prepare them for the task in which, and I quote, there is no room for mistakes. Ein makom lata'uyot. Later in the evening, another commanding officer of a lower level told them that their training that they had received thus far, combined with the experiences in the field that were just ahead of them, makes it possible for them to learn well from their mistakes. So which is it? Are they at a point in the army life where no errors whatsoever will be tolerated? Or can they still learn through making mistakes here or there? I asked my son what he made of the contradiction and his sage comments are worth considering. Of course we can't make mistakes. People's lives are on the line, and if we make a mistake in the field, it could be fatal, he said. That's why we had such an intense training to prevent those errors that we absolutely must not make. We did the same exercise over and over again until we got it right. So when we go into the field for real, the anticipated will be second nature to us, and all we will have to worry about is the unusual, the unanticipated. As for the second officer's comment, he was acknowledging that we are still, after all, only human, and that while we strive for perfection, there's an understanding that circumstances are not ideal on the battlefield. So errors, human errors, will occur. We must try to avoid those errors as much as we humanly can, but if they happen, we must immediately learn from them and not make the same mistake again, not even the minute after. And so it is with the Jewish people. We were created in the image of God and therefore are encouraged to work towards reaching a point of divine perfection. There is no excuse 
for not getting to that point, we are informed. Observing the mitzvot and behaving in moral and ethical ways are designed to lead us to that perfection. And yet, we are still only human beings. And we miss the mark sometimes. And it is from those sins, errors, and mistakes that we can learn so as not to repeat the misdeeds. Moses Maimonides, Rambam, in his famous Mishneh Torah, written in the end of the 12th century of the Common Era, teaches us that to make it right, to achieve complete atonement from God for our sins, we must go through a four-part process. First of all, we must recognize that we have sinned. As I mentioned earlier, this is easier said than done for some of us. A number of years ago, in a Miss Universe pageant, the final part of the competition had the five finalists answer some pretty difficult and probing questions. One question was about the role of government in legislating laws for how women dress. Another was about capital punishment. And another was about full body scans at the airports. Miss Philippines was asked, what is one big mistake that you made in your life? And what did you do to make it right? Her answer was, in my 22 years of existence, I can say that there is nothing major. I mean, a problem that I have ever done in my life. Well, it's a good thing that Rambam wasn't one of the judges. He would have disqualified her on the spot. Secondly, we must take ownership of our sins and be sorry for our actions. Regret in this context is simply a situation in which we feel bad about what we have done. Politicians who get caught philandering often express regret, but all too often it is not about their deeds, but rather about them having been stupid enough to be caught. That attitude does not fit into Rambam's process of achieving complete forgiveness either, I must say. Number three, we must then resolve to do something about the sin and about the sinned in order to correct any wrong that has been done. Approaching those who have been insulted or hurt and asking them for forgiveness is the most common way to do something about our inappropriate action. And only if that request for absolution is presented in a sincere way does it hold any efficacy at all. Finally, complete atonement happens when the chance to sin again confronts us in the future. When that happens, we must refrain from committing the same transgression a second time. The example given in the Mishnah Torah has to do with a man who is about to enter an elevator at his work, and who, do, who does he see standing in the elevator? That's right, the same woman with whom he has recently had an affair, regretted it, asked his wife for forgiveness, and then resolved not to repeat the offense. Should this man go into the elevator and show incredible restraint, or should he take the escalator and avoid the temptation altogether? Complete repentance, according to the Rambam, is when this person is met with the same temptation as in the past and is able to overcome the urge to repeat the offense. Maimonides writes, True repentance is when he is able to ride the elevator with the woman and not repeat his indiscretion a second time. Not everyone is able to achieve perfect repentance, he says but that is certainly the direction that he believes is the best path to take as a Jew. Do we in the 21st century take the concept of sin seriously? 
We can answer that by determining whether we are really and truly open to significantly changing our ways. Have we had breakdowns in communication with loved ones for which we have refused to take even some portion of responsibility? Have our lips created insulting or vindictive words and expressions for which we have not made an effort to exercise any damage control? Have we lied, cheated, been untrustworthy? Have we even thought mean thoughts? Have we made fun of others less fortunate than we? In Avot de Rabbi Natan, a companion to the ethics of our fathers, but written much later, around the 8th or 9th century of the Common Era, we learn the following. If you have done your friend a little wrong, let it be a great wrong in your eyes and go and rectify it. If you have done her much good, let it be a little in your eyes. If she has done you a little good, let it be great in your eyes. And if she has done you a great wrong, let it be small in your eyes. The quality of our lives depends solely upon how we choose to live them, approaching our sins and our misdeeds openly and with a healthy resolve to make changes. May God grant us all the potential to shoot and to hit the bullseye. And may we hit the mark sometimes and learn from our misses all of the time. Shana Tova, Gemar Chatima Tova. Thank you for listening to Pardes North America's Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Visit pardes.org.il for more ways to learn with us. Thanks for listening.